Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This show is presented by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com slash xm. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 5x5 Podcast Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Time is the charm. At least that's what they say, isn't it, guys? Uh, what's up, fellas fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host and contributor to TheBirdRights.com, Preston Ellis. And today, once again, we are recapping games, you guys. Can you believe it? To help out, uh, we have with us our editor-in-chief, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali Cosell is calling in today. We've been having some technical problems. Everybody's having technical problems except Kevin, old, reliable Kevin. Ali, how's it going, man? It's gone all right. As you mentioned, I'm a little frustrated, and this is one of many things that have gone wrong today. So, Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Anyways, it's good to be talking to you guys. All right, here we go, you guys. Let's let's pick it up here. Kevin, of course, you finally have a place to watch your game. You've got your TV in the mail. You've got it on the dresser or the entertainment center, whatever the kids are calling it nowadays. And although the two of us are having our, our own league pass troubles, uh, we still have an opportunity to talk about some games. We still saw the Bulls game. What is up with you, sir? Tell us a bit about your home and how it's progressing. Well, it's getting there. Uh, the living room is almost complete, except for, you know, hanging decorations up. I'm just waiting. My sofa comes in on Friday, and then I'll have, a singular complete room in my house that's ready to roll and live in um so that's great but um yeah i mean it's going well i like it here um excited about it and uh but way more excited about talking about basketball than my house definitely all you need is one room that's what john lennon said anyway let's do a lightning quick recap of both games uh pelicans played fairly well against the bulls in the first three quarters then they got shellacked in the fourth uh 128 to 116 was the final score i think the fourth quarter was somewhere around 37 to 20 37 to 18 ollie will weigh on that in a bit ad and drew were their dominant usual selves in both of these games and we got a great glimpse into what julius Randle can do offensively not just as a rim crasher but also as a facilitator he was looking pretty good uh, especially in the bulls game the pelicans allowed a whopping 72 points in the paint and committed 18 turnovers not ideal game two against the hawks the Pels shot a putrid 37 percent and 21 percent from the field respectively and they suffered some minor injuries to jaleel okafor okafor 
I corrected myself, Ed, in the Bulls game. I'm never going to get that right. Uh, Julius Randle <laughs> and Frank Jackson in the Hawks game. Uh, Drew and AD, again, looking otherworldly and once again, a 116-102 to 102 defeat. Ali, that's wrapped up. Let's start with you. What are your initial takeaways from the first glimpses of our pals? They've been mixed. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised for the most start by the core guys. If you just eliminate the second half, pretend like they didn't happen, teams actually played fairly well, especially when you consider that nobody really gives a damn about putting in 100% effort defensively in these games. And you can kind of notice it with AD out there. He's uh, kind of let a couple guys get around him, kind of let some guys score on him, even though I know in that first game against the Bulls, he had, what, like three steals, two blocks. But in general, and it's, it hasn't just been him. You've noticed Julius Randle missed a few rotations, stuff like that. So, that's the preseason motions, you know, going through just, you know, games that don't count. So you don't want to look at that too much. But offensively is where I think the team's done really well. And it's kind of surprising the results they've had uh, when they haven't shot the ball well. I mean, outside of Drew Holiday and then Frank Jackson in that first game, nobody's made anything from the outside. Um, each one more is cold as ice. Same with Ian Clark. And whoever else you want to throw or list right there, um, they haven't contributed uh, from the outside. Like I said, shooting the ball. And Preston, you nailed it. Then with the Pelicans giving up millions of points inside, it's kind of made for these lopsided scores and these losses that fans are looking at. But, again, you don't want to look at that. You just want to focus on how the starters played. And they played well. Davis and Holiday offensively have basically picked up right where they left off in the postseason, especially Drew Holiday. I mean, he's looking like he's ready for another playoff run. Uh, Julius Randle has looked really good. He's looked efficient. He's been able to push the ball in transition, find open guys. Uh, Alfred Payton played better, definitely in that Hawks game, even though I wasn't able to watch it entirely. I was having connection issues with that, too, so go figure. Um, but he, he's been looking a lot better. Like I said, in that Chicago game, he looked a little tentative. He wasn't really able to find guys. He made a couple of easy kind of, or I should say, bad turnovers. Uh, and then each one more has been kind of cold. Um, but other than that, you just want to look at how the guys are playing together and they're pushing the ball together well. They're being aggressive offensively. We've seen the pace. I mean, it's incredible. 115 uh, possessions in one game and like around 120 against the Hawks. So they're playing at a crazy pace. They're just not having too many shots go down. And, of course, like I said, they're not caring about defense at the moment. Yeah, just like uh, the Pelicans, the Bird Calls podcast and our connections are also in preseason form. Uh, let's go back to Kevin and let's address some of these same things. Obviously, Ali listed in some of the role players and their contributions. The most important takeaway, of course, as he mentioned, was how spectacular Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis have been in limited minutes on both ends of the floor. Uh, talk about your initial assessments. I know it might be uh, relegated to the Bulls game as we had trouble with the Hawks connection. But talk a bit about what you've seen, the pace, whether you think it's sustainable over the course of a season. We know that a lot of these guys, you know, we're only playing between 15 and 25 minutes. Do you think that's something that the Pelicans main eight guys can sustain over 48 minutes? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, obviously you're going to wear down um, running a lot, but I think a lot of the guys we have are in very good shape and they tend to not really wear down. We don't have like the Marcus Cousins anymore who noticeably would be tired at the end of games or playing higher paces. You have, you know, a supremely fit Julius Randle, Drew Holiday is also in great shape. Anthony Davis never seems to get tired, you know, so I'm not that concerned about it. Plus, I think they'll find ways to get them rest d during games more now that you have three big guys that you could stagger and then um, a guy like Okafor coming off the bench that could also give some rest. And then in the guard rotation, um, you know, you have Alfred Payton, Ian Clark, Frank Jackson, 
uh, Jared Jack. You have these guys that you can rely on to rotate in and out. Um, so I'm not that concerned about the pace um, wearing them down. I am excited about the pace because I think it creates a huge advantage going against other teams, um, especially teams that are trying to match up big for big with us because there's not that many athletic bigs that can hang with the three that we have for at that accelerated pace for a long time without suffering when they sub those guys out. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge advantage for the Pelicans. Um, far as just overview, Drew Holiday looked incredible in the Chicago game. I didn't see any of the Hawks game because I was at work and then I've been trying to watch it on League Pass, but all they give you is a recap and it's mainly just misses from Trey Young for six minutes or something. For some reason, they thought that was a good idea in the recap, but I don't know. So I haven't seen much of that. There's barely any Pelicans highlights in that. Um, Anthony Davis looked like he was playing at maybe 60% of his effort level and still looked incredible. So that's uh, phenomenal. Um, Frank Jackson was exciting to watch. I think, you know, he's going to be a surprise for the national media, not so much for local media, which uh, I wrote about in the roundtable that posted today about, um, you know, surprise players on the Pelicans team. Um, and uh, Alfred Payton showed me some stuff. You know, there are cons- things that uh, weren't so great, but he, he had some some nice moments in there. And like you said, you know, nobody's really trying super hard on defense right now. Um, as far as the like the fringe guys, uh I'm I'm still pretty high on Garland Green. I think he's a guy that impacts the games in multiple ways, but in a ways that aren't um so so obvious to the eye. Uh you know, he he's just one of those glue guys that everything seems to work better when he's on the court. Um I guess those are my biggest takeaways from that from uh this. All right. Uh I, I couldn't tell if you were done. Uh but yeah. Uh, before we move on, I've got something for Ali, but uh, just something that kind of tickled me. There's a, a tweet by Joe Pasternak right now on Twitter where, um, sorry, Vladi Divac is signing a player, I guess, to fill out the training camp roster. And he has his whiteboard in the background with his list of top prospects in the 2018 NBA draft. So I'm just getting a kick out of that. I hope you guys get a chance to look at that. But going back to what you were saying about Alfred Payton, I feel like this is the most important thing to take away from the preseason or the most important question to ask, Ali. And obviously, we've got some great questions from Tejeda as well as some of our other guys addressing Alfred Payton and his play. I want to dive a little bit deeper. He's obviously getting the most run. He played 25 minutes against the Bulls and 24 minutes against the Hawks, uh, better by better than everybody else by about four minutes. He carried uh, a heavy minus uh, on the court in his brief time. And obviously he did a lot of the things that we expect. A lot of the, you know, four, eight and four. And I think seven, seven and four uh, were his numbers. No turnovers in the second game, which was a really positive sign. In the first game, he had three early turnovers, uh, a bit of those miscues that David Grubb and I were talking about. But overall, you can see the court vision. You can see the spacing. You can see that he can stay in front of his defender when playing man, man-to-man matchups. Ali, talk a bit more about what you've seen. Is this guy the signal caller for the Pelicans? We're going to dive a bit deeper to Kevin after this, but just go deeper into your initial impressions of this guy who's going to have a, a considerable amount to do with the Pelicans' success this season. Preston, I think he's going to be fine, and I'm not just looking at a couple of games. I'm also going by what I saw in training camp every day, and uh, he was definitely more aggressive. Um, he made a little less mistakes in training camp. I think so. Honestly, what I take from that is in the uh, first game against the Bulls, he, he maybe had a little bit of nerve. 
maybe got, I mean, you know, I don't want to guess here, but there was something probably at play that kind of, you know, took him off his game a little bit. And as you mentioned, he played a lot better against the Hawks. So what, what we, what, I guess the best way to describe Peyton is you have to ask yourselves, what do you, the Pelicans need from him? You know, they don't need him to do exactly what Rajon Rondo did. And in fact, I don't think you even really want that. But the Pelicans need somebody just to push the pace, be able to find and hit the open man, and play just with consistent effort. And, of course, I, I think my fourth one that I had listed in the season preview was uh, to be more versatile defensively. And you know what? Peyton can do all of those things. So if he, he, if he can handle that, if he's up to the challenge for just those four things, he's, the Pelicans are going to be happy with that. For $3 million for a starting point guard that they didn't expect to throw in, into that role, but now obviously they have to with Rondo uh, – out there in L.A., he's got that task, and I think he's going to be up for it. Um, like I said, you don't want to take too much from the game, but the biggest thing I did was the fact that his effort was there. You know, I remember watching some games after talking to you about Alfred Payton um, at times, especially over the summer, from his uh, playing days back in Orlando and then also what he did a little bit with Phoenix. And he, I mean, the effort just wasn't there, and you were right to basically, and anybody else, kind of throw him under the bus, but I have not seen that Peyton at all, like I said, in training camp or these games. So you, you, I think, that, you know, I think overall Pelicans fans have to be hopeful that he's going to kind of fill Rajon Rondo's shoes, but in a different way and probably a better way if he completely lives up to all those four tasks uh, that I mentioned. All right. Just some more breaking news in regards to that Vladi Divac whiteboard, uh, this this scandal that's taking place right now on Twitter. There's also a photo of himself next to the whiteboard with a picture of him posing as if he's uh, Don Corleone, and it says the Vlad father on it. <laughs> I mean, this oh, is just boy. getting better and better. Kevin, there's a question from Tejeda that I want you to address. It says... Uh, this is his first question. He's got a second one we'll get to a bit later. He says, hypothetically, if Peyton struggles, what adjustment to the lineups do you think the coaches would make? All right. This uh, sort of ties into an article I'm working on right now. Um, that's It's sort of a different view of how to analyze rosters and players uh, using um, human design charts, which is not something that I necessarily believe in, but it's something I'm interested in. Um, I like to learn about different ways of thought that people analyze things. And this is uh, a thing that comes up with Drew Holiday, um, is that he he can be a lead guard, but he can't start off as a lead guard. He The way his, chart, his uh, human design chart reads, which I'll explain more in detail later on, obviously, as I'm writing this piece now, um, it, it dictates that he once he gets going, he can be the leader and the facilitator, but he needs a kickstart. And that, so that's why we've seen, and we've seen evidence of this, obviously, where, you know, people say, well, he's fine on, on the ball, you know, when we uh, have Rondo off the, off the court in fourth quarters, those sort of things later on in the game. Um, but we've seen when he's been tasked to start the offense, he has trouble. Um, so my thoughts are this. If for some reason Alfred Payton either gets hurt or just can't uh, live up to the role he's supposed to have, then I think you bring in Jared Jack to play that sort of uh, Omeka Okafor role that we saw last season where he's a starter by name, but he comes in and plays maybe like four minutes, five minutes, gets Drew going, and then Drew takes over and is mainly the point guard for the rest of the first half while he's out on the floor. And then same thing in the second half, 
you bring up you start off with Jared Jack again for another four or five minutes, and then it's Drew's show there on out whenever he's on the court. And I think that um, we've seen that work um, with Rondo when we had the Yank Rondo, and I think you know it's something that his his chart shows, which I'll explain that in the article. I don't want to go too much into detail of that because it's very complicated, but um, uh, it's something that uh, I think would work. You know. If, you know, starting Jared Jack or or Frank Jackson can win that out, but I think you go with the veteran at first that way. All right, I like it. Uh, good stuff. Looking forward to that article. Uh, let's go ahead and let's continue with some of the questions we have from some of our guys. Uh, before we get into some of the injuries, Darius Miller, uh, Nikola Miritich, as well as how Solo is progressing from that hamstring injury that kept him to just around 20 games last season. This question is from Matthew Malay. I hope I said that right. What I probably didn't. He said, what is your predicted starting lineup for the Pels? Who will be our sixth man of the year? And we're going to include this with Hot Pelican Takes. He says, does Randall in the starting lineup speak to his potential impact this season and future with the Pelicans? The reason I want to bring this up, Ali, is obviously Nikola Meritich has been held out of the first two games with his Achilles tendinosis. It's not considered serious. I would think he would be back for the regular season opener against the Houston Rockets. You know this a bit better than I do. My question is, based on what we've seen from Randall in the starting lineup, do you think now it's pretty... Uh, I don't know, pretty well solidified that Nikola Miritich is going to be in that six-man role with Randall in the starting lineup? I think so. I mean, I, I remember us talking about this as soon as the Pelicans signed him back in July. I had a feeling he was going to be the starter for several reasons. Uh, but now it just makes infinitely more sense when you consider that Alvin Gentry wants to run at the fastest pace possible. And by the way, when we asked him about the pace, uh, if he was happy with it, he thinks they can go even faster. He thinks that they can have even better, like, four-minute spurts. So that tells me that Randall's just a much better fit for doing that because you can't have one guy pushing the pace. You basically need the whole team to kind of have that gang rebound mentality and just turn and go and be able to make those type of passes. And Randall is honestly a lot better at doing that than Miritich. So you're not necessarily looking for the floor spacing because you're, you're looking to strike quickly anyways. You're going to have mismatches. You're going to have lanes open. So Randall just seems to fit that role better. And I think, honestly, he's probably in better physical shape um, just by looking at the two in terms of athleticism and everything. So, with, and especially with Meritage dealing with that ankle, which, by the way, guys, it's, it's a non-issue. He was shooting around today after practice. Alvin Gentry told us that both he and Darius Miller went through practice fully and that they will be back and playing on Friday against the Knicks. So there's nothing to worry on that front. But, yes, Preston, I think that the starters that we saw in these preseason games are the ones we're going to see to start the season. Uh, Alfred Payton at point, Drew Holiday at the two guard, each one manning the small forward, and then Julius Randle and Anthony Davis being the bigs down low. And then Miritich, of course, is going to be that sixth man off the bench. Uh, and he's going to see plenty of minutes. The rotations will be there as to where he may even see more minutes than Julius Randle at times. It'll probably depend upon both the matchup and how well each guy's playing. So that I don't want anybody to read anything into. All these guys are going to see the minutes. But just just to uh, get the details out there, I do believe, yes, that what we're seeing here in preseason, that's the lineup we're going to see start the regular season. Kevin, uh, I, I want to address uh, – well, I'm going to let you – continue to talk about what Ali was saying, but based on everything that Ali just said, with Nikola Meritich coming off the bench, I really have enjoyed what I've seen from Frank Jackson, not just in his brief summer league stint, but also in game one against the Bulls, just the way that he pushes the tempo every single time he gets the ball. You see him sprinting up the court, uh, sometimes making full court passes to get the off offense set in the half court. 
What have you seen from Frank Jackson? How electric do you think a Pelicans bench could be that consists of a shooter like Darius Miller alongside Nikola Meritich and Frank Jackson? Well, I, I've been very excited by Frank Jackson, too. Um, his athleticism was definitely on display. His speed, his quickness, his decisiveness getting up the court. I think he was playing with a lot of nerves, which is uh, very much expected considering, you know, his injury problems in college and kept them all out of last year and, and then even in summer league. Um, so I think, you know, there was some layups that he missed that he would have normally made had he not been so you know, jacked up and full of energy. Uh, once it, it slows down for him, I think he's going to be really good. Um, I think he's going to be a nice piece for the Pelicans coming off the bench. And, uh, you know, adding him, if, if him and Miritich are coming off the bench and he plays up to the, you know, that level that we expect him to. And then, look, I don't expect him to be, you know, some some breakout, super breakout star or something in his first year, but I think he's going to, give you moments of excitement. I think he's going to fill a nice role for the Pelicans. I think he's going to improve upon what we were getting out of Ian Clark last season. And if you get that from him and Miritich coming off the bench, and then if Darius Miller can find that stroke again and add maybe one, one other thing to his game, then I think, you know, you're looking at a pretty nice uh, three man bench. And then don't forget that uh, also Jalil Okafor will be coming off the bench as well which is another you know guy who looks like he's gonna be able to abuse people down low and contribute well and you know he was attacking the offensive glass uh, so all those things combined I think you got a nice little bench unit there plus you still have Ian Clark and you still have Solomon Hill who um, you know hopefully will return to being a pretty good defensive player and hopefully add some on the offensive end as well. All right, let's talk about Solomon Hill and Jaleel Okafor, as you were just mentioning. Those are the guys that I left off off that initial bench unit. Ali, I know that we were expecting a lot of Solomon Hill. We were expecting him to return to his 2015-16 form. He was talking about how much stronger his hamstrings gotten. Jamel McMillan was telling us last summer how much better his three-point stroke had gotten. I did like some of his touch passes in game one. Uh, he got the ball, and he quickly found a cutter. Uh, there was one possession specifically where he got the ball at the at the top of the baseline, and he weaved his way behind a defender, got a nice bounce pass. I want to say it was Jaleel Okafor. Honestly, I don't remember. But anyway, he had good court vision. He got the ball out of his hands quickly other than that there just wasn't much he contributed uh offensively in terms of shooting he wasn't very good he did hit one three and uh just a lot of flailing while chasing rebounds and sort of stuff so we need him to put it together also address jaleel okafor we didn't get a large sample size we did get a couple of highlights of course the dunk over wendell carter and the big rejection talk about those two what you've seen from them and where do you think they'll their place will be on this team come october 17th well solomon hill has underwhelmed uh, after seeing him play decently in training camp, uh, and he came on kind of in the last couple of the, the final days of the week, um, I was expecting him to actually play a little bit better. And all we've seen is he's made only one shot out of, I think, nine attempts, and of which eight were three-pointers. Um, I do want to say that he has grabbed seven rebounds. So when you look at how many minutes he's played, he's played about 36 in all. Seven rebounds is actually a good mark for him. Uh, that's something I could live with. And as you mentioned, Preston, he did have a couple of – uh, nice passes, especially in that first game that generated some easy offense for other guys. So he, he, he's he's been a mixed bag, but again, to me, he's underwhelmed simply because he hasn't created any turnovers, and he's going up against second units and playing largely in the second halves against, you know, and it's the Bulls and the Hawks. So he should be able to actually kind of, you know, 
I don't want to say he's, he's not going to be Kevin Durant out there, but he, he should be able to, you know, do more positives. He should be able to score some more. He should be able to get to the, uh, the rim and maybe have a couple of attempts there. Uh, just do something, you know, and I don't think physically it's an issue. As he told us on media day, um, his, le- his injured leg is actually now stronger than this other one is currently. So um, that's not an issue now. Is it whether it's a confidence or is it just he's super rusty? We don't know. Uh, it could be both of those things. But we've got to hope that he gets out of his funk because I've got to think that the Pelicans uh, coaching staff is very eager to utilize him quite often because Ekwon Moore, as we all know, is kind of a bit undersized. And the Pelicans in general kind of had those problems at small forward last season where they were just abused uh, defensively. Uh, Darius Miller wasn't able to provide that. And especially if he wasn't making his threes, the Pelicans really had a hole behind each one more. So I hope his Hill can do it. And he, obviously he can probably still can. It's only been two preseason games. But you, you just want to see this guy find his confidence and find that role. Because honestly, he looks like he's playing at a different speed to me, guys. I swear, you know, you see the stars go out there and they're running and all the decisions are quick. When Solo was out there, everything seemed to really slow down when the ball got in his hands. And he wasn't the only one. There was a lot of other people that he was playing with. They kind of did the same thing. But, again, you just want more. You want to see more out of Solomon because he was counted on to be a big part of this rotation uh, last year before he got injured. And, of course, coming off the injury, he still you know, owed a lot of money for two more years. So you kind of want to get some return on that investment if you're the Pelicans at least see that defensive stopper that you kind of saw two years ago that can guard about three or four positions and do it pretty well. Um, and also maybe hit the occasional jump shot, as like I said, he's one of eight so far in preseason. Not a, not a good start. As for Julio Okafor, he's impressed uh, me and a lot of other people, uh, including Alvin Gentry. Uh, the Pelicans were not sure if he was going to fit into this system, but it's all but guaranteed that he's going to make the roster now. There's been a couple of innuendos dropped. And, for instance, when we asked today, uh, will this possibly affect Okafor making the team? Alvin Gentry flatly said no. So he, he's made the team. And I don't think there was really any doubt when you consider, you know, who the competition is for the fourth big man uh, minutes. And Alexia Jens is one of them, and he's not even ready to go, let alone I don't know if anybody can trust him coming off a completely lost year for him. And then you've got Sheck Diallo, who honestly has – I don't think there's been anybody else that's been more disappointing uh, than Czech Diallo so far early in this preseason. So the Pelicans need Okafor, and what it sounds like is he'll be back in about a week's time. Gentry already alluded to that he's a quick healer, and that's kind of unusual around these parts. So it sounds like everything's on the up and up regarding him. And, and like I said, he's instant offense. This guy can actually make some passes. I know some training camp. He was kind of filling almost our Julius Randle type of role. The only thing he can't do is shoot, I would say, from 16 feet and beyond. Uh, even in on um, his practice shots, you know, after the scrimmaging and they're just shooting around, he had a tough time making any of those shots, especially beyond the three-point line. I think I recalled him missing eight or ten straight. So that's never going to be a part of his game. But thankfully, it doesn't have to be. He just has to be able to do the dirty work down low, kind of grab those offensive rebounds, and just make himself to be a big target and score within ten feet and in and make the right passes. And defensively, of course, we just want to see that effort. That's something that was lacking both in Philadelphia and Brooklyn. And from what I've seen, he's done just that. He's kind of impressed you with that effort, just like Alfred Payton has. That these guys are out there to prove something. They know that they've had a very rough start to their careers, and they know they're in probably in danger of getting out of the NBA if they don't find something and produce qu- uh, quick quickly enough. So I'm very positive and hopeful about Julio Okafor, but we've got to see more out of Solomon Hill. That's a definite problem uh, if he continues down this road. 
All right, Kevin, I'm going to search for a hot take here as I get a question from Mon Christian. He says, who do you guys like most out of the tryout guys to make the team? And we've got a question, uh, a couple more questions from our guys uh, along the same path. And here's what I'm trying to steer you towards. There's a lot of guys coming in here that we really didn't give too much attention to, of course, referring to McCoy, the Williams brothers, Garland Green, as well as Darius Morris. And now, as we observe guys like Czech Diallo, uh, somebody who we thought 100%, not not necessarily 100%, but somewhere around 75 to 80%. They spent two second-round picks to get him. They've been developing him slowly. Obviously, he's only been playing competitive basketball now for, I want to say, four or five years. He'd only been playing for two years before his freshman year at Kansas in which he didn't get a whole lot of run. And now I think he's approaching his third season in new Orleans. Uh, is he a guarantee or a slam dunk to make the roster at this point, Kevin, because if he doesn't, there's only 12 that we can really solidly say are going to be on that opening night roster. Jared Jack would make 13. And then all of a sudden you've got two spots up for grabs for the rest of these guys. Um, well, I think Troy Williams will make the roster for sure. I also think that Garland Green has a good shot at either making the roster or at least being the two-way player just because of the kind of glue guy that he is. He's valuable to have around the team to insert for a small minutes where he's not going to hurt you defensively. Same thing with Troy Williams. He's also a very good defender and, uh, you know, an active athletic guy. Uh, he gets a lot of hustle stats. So I think he's another kind of guy that you want around that you can just plug in and you know he's not going to hurt you at least defensively uh, when you put him on the floor. Um, as far as Czech, he's been a huge disappointment. Um, you know, we all love him as a person. He's super fun to, he has a great personality. He's super exciting. He has this athleticism. He has this charm about him that you just want him to succeed. And I mean, we want all these guys to succeed because they're Pelicans and, you know, all of that. But he's a guy that you really are rooting for and he's just not putting it together. I mean, that he was terrible defensively against the Bulls. And uh, that, to me, um, you know, when we were asked that question of whether um, Okafor's injury affects his standing on the roster, it doesn't because Czech was so bad that you have to have Okafor around. You need to have that other guy. Um, so I, there is a world where I could see him being released. I think the staff likes him. I think they believe in him still. And they're hoping that he can turn the corner. And I think it's going to be a tough cut for them just because of how much they like him. But I could see it being made for basketball decisions uh, because, you know, some of these other guys can start to shine and he's definitely falling behind. He's regressing instead of progressing. And, um, you know, that's a problem. And then I want to go back a little bit to Ollie's uh, talk about Solomon Hill. And one thing I will say about him is I felt like for a lot of the game, he he was put in a position where it wasn't his to his benefit because he was playing a lot of small ball four. And I just don't think that's a position that he's cut out to play because he's not a great uh, rebounder and he's not strong uh, enough to handle some of the bigger guys. And he was getting worked by those bigger guys. Um, and then when you're getting worked like that and, you know, you're struggling a bit, he's a guy that needs confidence on offense and your confidence is getting busted on the one thing that you're supposed to be good at. Um, and so that's definitely going to trickle into his uh, offensive game. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying he's going to turn it around and be great. Or, you know, I hope, I still have hope and belief in him that he'll be an adequate player, but I can see him being passed up by Troy Williams for minutes also, because I think I'm not sure right now that Solomon Hill is an upgrade over Troy Williams. I think, 
there's a world where he is. Um, and I'm hoping he gets there because I really like Solomon Hill. He's a very good interview. He seems like a, a really, um, you know, like he's a really smart guy and, uh, I feel like he works hard and I, I like listening to him talk and I want him to succeed, especially with that contract that we have. But, um, he hasn't shown us much yet. And I know it's early coming back from an injury and he definitely has a lot of rust and he definitely is probably in his own head right now trying to get back to uh, basketball speed. So I'm not going to judge him too harshly yet, but I don't think that that Bulls game was really a game that he can be fairly judged on because with Okafor going down and with Miritich not playing and with um AD and Randall playing the allotted minutes that you wanted to give them. He was forced to play a role that he's not going to play and shouldn't be playing. Yeah, and I think that works out great for Cech Diallo because if you can't utilize somebody like Salomon Hill at the four, then that makes him even more critical to the team because after, you know, Anthony Davis, Julius Randall, Nikola Miritich, obviously Miritich might get some run at the three. I'd prefer he stay at the four, but, you, you know, you don't know what you're going to get long term from Jaleel Okafor or Alexis Agensa. Uh, and with that being said, if Dell Demps does need help signing a future big man who can play the four or the five, I see that Vladi Divac has a scouting manual on his desk. So Dell Demps might want to take that into account and call his good friend Vladi. Let's get back to some questions, Ali. Uh, this one's from MC Tuman. He says, why is Kendrick Williams being discounted? Looks like the only guy with that who brings a little bit of everything, assists, rebounds, blocks, et cetera. And then our friend Andy Coyer says, what do you think we use the last two-way on? Someone like a Brandon McCoy or a small forward type like the Williams brothers or Garland Green, as Kevin Berrios mentioned? What do you think, Ollie? Well, I don't think it's going to be Brandon McCoy um, for several reasons. One, he hasn't been with the team very long. So his odds of just making uh, or, or grabbing that two-way were already you know, kind of a long shot when you consider these Small forwards have been working with the team for, I think, roughly two months, I was told. So these guys have been in town for a while, trying to really hard to prove themselves and make the team. And obviously they've learned what the Pelicans like to do, both offensively and defensively. And it showed. I mean, McCoy looked awful, I thought. Again, when I got, finally got to tune in the Hawks game, I saw nothing but the, the terrible third and fourth quarter. So there was nothing positive to take away from that. And I was hoping to see something positive out of these young guys. And the one I saw the least from was McCoy. So... I just don't like his odds. He just seemed to not have that aggressiveness. Uh, he looked, you know, he got his, I think his first shot was rejected, maybe his first two, and then he had a turnover, a silly turnover or two. So he just looked completely out of sorts. So you can't think he's going to make it. But it, I think it's going to go to the one that's small fours, like I said. When you've got these guys in here for two months busting their butts, and you've seen good glimpses of, that, glimpses out of all three of them, but I still prefer Troy Williams. And again, I go back to what I saw in training camp, but it just really showed that not only did the coaching staff seem to trust him more by placing him with the starters at times, you know, he's kind of that fifth guy rotated. And I never saw Garland Green do that. I never saw Kendrick Williams in that position either. And then in the games, I just feel like Troy Williams provides, he's kind of the most versatile all around guy as to where on both ends of the floor as to where you can kind of trust him to be able to do everything that's necessary, but he may obviously not do it because he's a young guy. He's yet to be proven in the league. Uh, as where Kenrich Williams, um, I mean, I guess M. Truman's right. When he's kind of just look at the stats and maybe just a few plays, he shined. But when I look at how, how he performed in those scrimmages against the competition overall, 
he kind of was just very quiet, and he waited for the offense to come to him, kind of like Garland Green, who has significantly cooled since we saw him, guys, in the summer league. You know, his jumper's just not falling. Um, he's gotten to the line a few times and kind of been physical uh, or taking it, the ball aggressively and physically to the rim. But other than that, that outside sweet jumper, man, that we saw, it's, it's just missing in action right now. So I don't really like his odds either because he, he really hasn't done anything else to grab your attention um, as to where he deserves a contract to be signed to at least a two-way deal. So, no, I'm going to stick with a guy I've always kind of, you know, thought that would make it, and then after seeing him, I still think the second two-way contract is going to go to, and that's Troy Williams. All right, and that's a nice segue because Andy Coyer has a second question. You can tell he's been listening to the podcast because he said, I think small forward is still an issue. I would love to see Kevin's boy blossom game and or a trade for Corksma. I think uh, Kyle Kuzma is um, is a bit improbable just based yeah. on how, how much the Lakers value him. Sorry, I were you going to say something, Kevin? talking about uh, Cormas, I think, from uh, Philly. Oh, gotcha. Um, he's probably going to make the roster as well, somebody that they've been developing for some time. But that's that's pretty funny. I, I don't know why I thought Korksma was in relation to Kuzma. But go ahead, take it away, uh, Kevin. And what are your thoughts on these two guys? I mean, I love Blossom game. If there is a way, you know, the Spurs, I, he's still not signed to a contract there, um, I don't believe. Uh, last I looked, I looked pretty recently. Uh, and so they just own his rights, and you can't do anything except for trade for him until they renounce his rights. So I would love to have him over here. I think he's a very solid player. I think he's very active. Um, I think he can play a lot of uh, positions defensively. Um, I think he fits in with uh, the way this team wants to play. He's very athletic. He can run. Uh, He can handle a little bit. Uh, He's not a great shooter. Um, But, you know, we have already heard Elvin Gentry say they're not necessarily looking for great shooters. They're looking for good basketball players. And I would say that... Jerome Blossom game is a good basketball player um, from what I've seen of him. Um, so if they were able to get him somehow, I would be ecstatic. Um, Kormaz, uh, I've always sort of been interested in him, and I think he's just sort of uh, – he's been scoring a little bit too much. And, like, in Summer League, he, he had, like, a 40-point game, I think. And I think uh, I saw he scored 18 the other night in the in the, in the the preseason. And against the Magic, yeah. Yeah, and so like Philly's bench isn't what it used to be because they lost Ilyasova and they lost Bellinelli. Um, so I don't think there's a way that you could get Cormaz without overpaying uh, for him. So I don't see him coming over here at the moment. Um, but uh, I think the only thing I would counter to what Ali was saying earlier is I just I think Troy Williams is on the regular season roster i don't think he's a two-way player i think they got him locked in i think he's a real legit nba player and i think he's going to be on that roster so then it comes down to green the other kendrick williams and uh that's basically it for that we have on the roster right now competing for that two-way spot because i seriously doubt it goes to darius morris or mccoy as well All right, let's get to some of our questions. I know you guys have to run soon, so let's try to get through these pretty quickly. Ali, this is from Hot Pelican Takes. Again, thank you so much for your questions. You guys want more. What are the chances the Pelicans are a top 10 offensive and defensive team this season? Um, What did they finish? They finished roughly ninth defensively last year and about 14th, I think, overall offensively last year. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But, yeah, they were in the ballpark, and – 
What do I want to say? Yeah, they, they kind of took a step back from what I heard somebody say after Boogie went down, but that's not necessarily true. If you just eliminate, I think, about six games right after DeMarcus went down, and to me, I've made this claim ever since it happened, is the team went in a total funk, and you could see it in their effort level, so I kind of just discount those games. Uh, but everything that followed afterwards, but of course that's counting all the good stuff, the highs, but from February 10th and on, Falcons finished 20-8. and eight. I know they had about a top-five defense, and their offense was about 11th or 12th. So if you go by that play, then yes, I mean, it's within sight of both sides of the ball being top 10 or better. Um, now, can't, will they do it? That, that's another question. I mean, you've got to look at the competition in the West, and it's ridiculous. And so the Pelicans are going to play every team in the West three or four times this season, with most of them being um, very difficult matchups. I mean, there's only a few cupcakes. So that heavily factors and influences a team's offensive and defensive rankings. Um, but I kind of like that they'll, they'll probably be more around the top 15. I, I would be more confident in saying, um, yeah, but top 10, wow, that would be great. If they do that, then you're looking at probably a three or a four seed. Ali, I'm proud of you, man. You nailed it perfectly. Offensively, they were rated 10th. Defensively, they were rated 14th. In terms of points per game, they were 3rd, and they were 29th in defensive points per game, but that also is attributed to their pace where they were first in the NBA. Let's move along, uh, Kevin. This is the second question from Tejeda. He says, do you think the pace the Pels are trying to play at will Sorry, let me try to read this again. I'm going to try to amend some of it. Do you think the pace the Pels are playing will cause any major issues defensively rebounding? What problems could reveal themselves as the Pelicans continue to run faster and faster? Well, I mean, I don't think the pace is going to affect them. Uh, defense. I mean, obviously more points are going to be scored because there's going to be more possessions. That's just un- understandable. But in terms of actual defensive effectiveness, I don't think the pace that they play at is going to hinder them. Um, one thing is is that Alvin Gentry is not a fan of uh, crashing the offensive glass, so um, that should help. That could help in transition defense. I don't know because he asked the question about rebounding, so I'm not sure about what angle he was going with there. But I don't expect to see a lot of us rated pretty highly on offensive rebounds because that's not been the mandate um, since Gentry got here. Um, so I think the transition defense should stay uh, solid. And I think because they assembled a group of varied defenders that can cover multiple positions, I think you're going to see an improvement in defense. And um, I would like to just like flip the last person's question a little bit and ask Ali, what do you think, and you also, Preston, do you think the Pelicans will be rated higher defensively or, or offensively this season? I'm going to think that they're going to be better offensively. I think that when you're adding Julius Randle and Elton Payton, you're risking that the defense is going to slip. Now, granted, the effort you expect to be there and everything else, but um, overall, I mean, yeah, we've got Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. I, I still think that they're, they're, they're just better additions for the offense where we're going to maintain that pace, where we're going to destroy teams through that pace. And then with the talent we have, um, I don't see how they don't end up in a top 10 unless the three-point shooting is in the bottom third of the league. If, if, if it's just at least average and they get it to the free-throw line a decent amount of time, they're going to be in a top 10 offensively. That's where defensively there's a lot more questions. 
I think they're actively making that decision whenever they insert each one more into the starting lineup at small forward. They know his limitations at that position in terms of his size. Uh, and they also know what a deadly three-point shooter he is and how he spaces the floor. And he's also got that nice runner. He even busted out a Euro step the other night. So I think they're actively making that decision to, to push themselves offensively. Of course, if you find somebody uh, a little bit more defensively inclined, like a Salmon Hill, if he can, you know, get back to his 2015-16 form, then I would definitely say defensively. But with that being said, I think that what Ali's saying in terms of Alfred Payton's effort, we know that he has a uh, better size and strength that Rajon Rondo does at this point of his career. And we also know that Julius Randle is going to buy in every single day the same way that Nikola Miritich did in the paint last season. We saw how the defense improved with Miritich down low, taking on those big body players uh, so that Anthony Davis could do what he does best, which is rim protect, kind of roam, get out to the perimeter, but also help defend in the paint. So I could definitely see both things happening. But with that being said, Etuan Moore, I think, is the linchpin uh, right there. I'm going to go ahead and close this up. I know you guys have to run. I'm going to give some good-natured fun to our good friend of the pod, Ralph Malbro uh, of Saints at Saints Forecast is where you can find them. They've got the best Saints podcast in town. Highly recommend Saints Happy Hour along with our friend Andrew Juge, uh, Kevin, uh, as well as uh, Dave hasn't been on there in a while, but shout out to him. He says, was Frank Jocks, was Frank Johnson Norm Hurt or does putting on a Pelican uniform weaken one's bone structure? I'll ask Kevin. Well, first off, you know, considering that NBA TV left Frank Jackson completely <laughs> off the Pelicans depth chart, I would say that Ralph has a career over there at NBA TV for not getting Frank Jackson, the darling <laughs> of the offseason's name, correct. Um, so that goes back to, you know, what we we're talking about and just breakout surprise players this season is Frank Jackson. Um, but to answer his question, honestly, he missed most of his college career because of injuries. So he is a guy who came over with injury concerns. Um, so it's nothing new that he's struggling with that um, as a Pelican as well. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, we've had a, a good podcast here. I think we've been going close to an hour. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. Remember to give us a follow on the Bird Rice, guys, if you don't already. I know that many of you are already, you know, uh, the Bird Rice subscribers. You check the, the page every day. But a lot of people are also listening to us on the OTG network, the Up and Under network, Dash Radio, as well as Nothing But Net. So make sure you guys are also, are also following our content over there, uh, as well as following the Bird Calls on both iTunes and Spreaker. Make sure you give us a rating and subscribe there. You can follow all of us at Ali Cosell, at Kevin B for Bounce, and at Preston Ellis on Twitter. Before I let you go, Ali, I know you've been attending a lot of practices. Uh, pretty soon the Pelicans are going to be back in the Smoothie King Center, and you're going to be able to interview some of these guys and get some more stories going. But in the meantime, what does the Bird Rights have coming out this week you want our listeners to know about? No, I just wanted to say that tomorrow, SB Nation, all the team preview sites are going to be posting. So we're going to be posting our big season preview tomorrow. Uh, roughly around 10 in the morning. So look for that. Nice. Kevin, I know you're working on something pretty big. Want to tell our listeners about it? Yeah. So I'm working on, uh, you know, a roster overview, looking at uh, player personalities and philosophies based off of birth dates and times that stem from this belief system called human design, which incorporates the I Ching and astrology and some modern science beliefs. Um, it's a little bit out there. It's not necessarily my thing, but I'm also always interested in hearing new uh, thoughts. And my my uh, partner in season tickets, Travis, is really interested in that. So I'm helping getting him to work with me on it. And it is pretty interesting. Some of the findings uh, seem to reflect what you expect uh, from a from a 
what we know about players, the players on our roster already. Um, so there is some uh, things that make a lot of sense. Uh, and it's, it's pulling up a lot of interesting points as we go through the roster and looking at their charts and uh, how their energy flows and all of those things, um, which is, you know, like I said, it's a little bit out there, but it's, it's a fun look, you know, but it could also be one of those things how whenever you read your horoscope, it applies to you because it's written so vaguely that you believe uh, that you could see how it's fitting the situation you're in now kind of thing. Um, so I don't put a whole lot of stock in it, but it's just a little fun exercise and something a little bit different and unique to uh, dissect. Always unique, Mr. Kevin Berrios. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We are now well into our second year of podcasting with the bird calls here at SBNationsTheBirdRights.com. So just want to give a big shout out to all of you. Thank you for continuing to tune in. Thank you for your questions. Thanks for the retweets, uh, the, the likes on iTunes, all that good stuff. We really appreciate each and every one of you. And if there is anything you want to hear about, make sure you hit one of us up and we will address it on the next pod. We're going to start potting a bit more regularly as the regular season kicks in. But for now... I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and 555 Podcast Networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.